Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week, uh, the topic of discussion is a comic that you picked out, so go ahead and lead us in. Alright, uh, today we're reading some of Rachel Pollock's Doom Patrol run. Uh, it's Doom Patrol Volume 2, uh, issues 75 through 79. Uh, Rachel Pollock is the writer who followed Grant Morrison on the title after their seminal run. And I think wrote a run that was even better. Yeah, I have not read beyond this arc, but this was very good. This is... I am not sure how to pronounce the mythological reference of this title. You know what, let me actually Google pronunciation right now, because I'm going to mangle it to Tiresias. Okay. This <laughs> is the Tiresias War. Yep, we've got... Uh, like we said, Rachel Pollock is the writer. Ted McKeever is the artist for this arc. Uh, Stuart Chaffetz is colorist. John E. Workman is credited as our letterer. Uh, Julie Rotenberg, assistant editor. And Lou Stafis as editor. Um, so for context, pretty late last year, this is the, the the Doom Patrol by Rachel Pollock Omnibus was released. It's the first time any of her run has been collected at all. I'll point out that everybody else's Doom Patrol runs have been collected. Everyone's. For a long time before this. The TV show was past season 3 by the time this Omnibus came out. This is a run from the 90s. I would argue that it's um pretty See fucking bad that it took this long to release comics this good so that people could actually read the damn things. And I think that there's already been a bit of a reappraisal of this run because I know that like a lot of people were very down on it because it's the book got cancelled because of low sales. But like it was just as good, if not better, than it was under Morrison. Once at least once you got Ted McKeever in on art. This deserved to have that opportunity to be reappraised. It slaps. Yeah. It's very, very good. I think we should talk about the art first, because I think that does have such an impact. Like, we could talk about what's happening, but then if if you aren't seeing what it looks like... First of all, you should Google Ted McKeever's art, because it's a very specific style. Yeah, like, he doesn't do the entire Pollock run, and just, like, flipping through the omnibus, like... The change in styles is so immediately apparent. Like, this is not, like, house style action. I don't mean this in a pejorative way. If anything, I mean it, like, you know, positively. But there's sort of, like, a feeling of, like, crudeness to it. Like, really blocky black ink lines. Sort of geometric. The characters frequently just have a lot going on in the angles that they're presented and that the action is presented in and it's i'm struggling to try and think of how to describe it on air and the part of the problem is i can't think of a single other artist that's really comparable to how this looks aesthetically it's almost abstract in a way 
Like, it's as abstract as I think you can get when you're still, like, literally drawing the things you're drawing. Yeah, as abstract as it's possible to be without being entirely, like, non-representational. Like... It, uh, so there's some stuff at, at the back and at the front, some interviews and stuff. And so what happened after Ted McKeever got the scripts is he drew the pages, and then they had to re-script all the pages to cover all the plot points he didn't draw because he prioritized, like, just the images and the storytelling on the page. I love that. It's great. Yeah, I, and I think it really works. They, by the way, point out that the book was the better for it. <laughs> this is a creative partnership that I think really fucking works. And it is, it is this arc right here where this run starts singing. You're like, oh, okay, this is this is the back and forth that we had back when it was Morrison with Richard Case on the earlier stuff in this, this ongoing title. Yeah. In terms of, like, things to note stylistically, I guess I'll mention that it's virtually entirely composed of, like, square and rectangular panels, but there will frequently be just like a slight jaggedness to it where you know it won't be like a perfectly even grid like the pages don't look like watchmen like it's all very square but there will be like slightly out of alignment the orientation of panels in relation to each other will all just be like slightly off and the squares will like increase and decrease in size in a way that's just adds all the more to the way that it leads your eye across the page. Yeah, it's, it's never as organized as, like, a six-panel grid. It's always just off-kilter, and the margins are always a little bit different. Yeah, it's, like, not literally chaotic in that there's no rhyme or reason, because it's very skillfully done and there is reason to it. But there's just a slight, like, edge of, like, jumble to it as opposed to being, like, perfectly clean, you know? And I think that fits both this story and the themes it's dealing with, and also just the fact that this is Doom Patrol, and at this point in the team's history, that's just the book that people go to for weird shit, so it makes sense that the art style is a bit off-kilter. Speaking of Doom Patrol, this is the first Doom Patrol we've done. I guess that they're a lesser-known superhero team. I mean, maybe less so now that they have their TV show. But, um, basically, they're a team of weirdos. Like, the main theme of the original team is that their powers were in some way also a disability. Uh, the most famous member of the team and the only sort of classic member who's still in it at this point is Robot Man Cliff Steele, who, um had a horrible car accident and is now a brain in a robot body yeah and like it's not like a great one-to-one comparison but the main other team that doom patrol gets compared to is x-men and it's kind of like it's just this huge coincidence because these two teams of misfits with a leader in a wheelchair who is their boss debuted really close to each other like not too close to actually have one inspire the other like doom patrol came out first but unless like the timing of it is like unless stan lee and jack kirby let's be honest more jack kirby were hanging out in the dc office six months earlier looking at everybody's drafts there's no inspiration yeah and like with regards to the x-men comparison 
imagine all of the weirdest aspects of X-Men and turn it up to 11. You know, like, I think Doom Patrol in a lot of it, and certainly in this arc, sort of makes X-Men look normal. It oh, makes the X-Men look like do. the Avengers or the Justice League in comparison. 100%, yes. And, and, and like, you're keeping a lot of the minority metaphor when you go with Doom Patrol as well. They are... And the found family aspects of X-Men 2, I would say. Especially in this run and, and this arc. Yeah. In this story specifically, identity-wise, it gets more into, say, disability and trans identity. But we'll for... sort of get more into that as we go. Yeah, and for clarification heading into this, Rachel Pollock is a trans woman who was already like out and living her life while she was writing these. And is apparently, as I found out after looking into things after reading this, like a world-renowned expert on tarot. Yeah, she's really cool. I I've listened to one of her like prose books. It was quite good as well. Unfortunately, there's not much that I've been able to get my hands on. But um, yeah, would highly recommend Rachel Pollock. I don't know tarot shit at all, but I, I like the comics. <laughs> I suppose just to sort of round out sort of establishing the baseline here of what the doom patrol looks like here like we said it's basically a bunch of oddballs um we mentioned cliff robot man the rest of the lead characters on the team i guess we should go ahead and just establish you know what figures we're dealing with here we have miles calder who is the professor x equivalent and that he's the disabled asshole founder except at this point he got beheaded after it was revealed that he had engineered the accidents that created the doom patrol on purpose which is big spoilers for the morrison run but also it's 30 years old so you're just gonna have to deal with it yeah the tv show did it too but the tv show made him a lot more sympathetic in the comics he just sucks Worse than Professor X. He is just such a selfish little asshole. Like, arrogant. Specifically, like, arrogant scientist who's always just wanting to run his little tests and doesn't care about what's happening with anyone else or how they feel about anything. To include, I guess next up would be Dorothy. Oh, uh, well, to clarify, when I said he got beheaded, that was to point out that he is right now a head on a tray. He yes. is a living head on a tray. His head got brought to life again by a thing, a weird thing that happened because it's Doom Patrol and weird things just happen. So he's a head on a tray. Yeah. Then you have Dorothy, who is essentially a little girl who, I guess just literally her power is that she has countless imaginary friends and they all have their own powers and she can just sort of summon them by thinking about them. She also looks rather a lot like an ape, but that is less clear in Makiva's art style because it's so much more abstract. But, like, if you look back at the case stuff, and that plays a lot into a lot of her, like, mental health issues and stuff that's going on with her. Yeah, like, she's very unhappy and self-deprecating and kind of isolated in a lot of ways between having to deal with how she looks and also she's way younger than any of the other characters in this group like everyone else is an adult 
Because she is a literal child, right? She doesn't just look really young. Yeah, she's a literal child. She's, like, probably 13, I'd say, at this point. Like, she's on the cusp of puberty, which is a, a big deal in both this and the Morrison run. Okay. Uh, and then introduced in, like, the specifically now characters who are introduced in this run of comics, but not in this storyline, we have Coagula, Kate, the first trans superhero, um, and basically uh, her power is to melt things and solidify things, thus Coagula, Coagulate. Uh, she's introduced in an issue where uh, this guy has created a robotic penis that has, like, missiles and laser beams and a giant boxing glove that pop out, and he beats the shit out of the bandage people who we're going to talk to about in a second, and she melts the penis, and that is how she winds up joining the Doom Patrol. It's a great issue, by the way. Another, like alchemy feeling sort of power like everyone in the doom patrol their powers are all just like sort of weird too to fit the whole thing between like just sort of melting shit and like we said um dorothy who's just an endless array of powers oh and then we have the bandage people who are george and marion they are a lovely married couple of people who are made of bandages. They are basically here because after um, Larry Trainer, the the negative, well, Rebus by the point of the Morrison run, who wears bandages and looks like the Invisible Man, has left the book, and editorial told Rachel Pollock that Doom Patrol always needs to have someone wrapped up in bandages in it. So here they are, and they have bandage powers. They can make things using their bandages. Yeah, and, like, it specifically notes in this story that there's not, like, a finite amount of them. Like, they can't run out of bandages. They can just sort of keep making, and, you know, it's as convenient, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just sort of, like, we're here for weird shit. Oh, and there's Charlie the doll. God, there's so many of them. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what the deal with the ugly, creepy doll is. I guess if you want to explain that. Um, Charlie is a creepy little doll that talks and is friends with Dorothy and is here and kind of gets explained a bit more in the, this story and a bit more in the last story. But, like, it it's weird Doom Patrol shit. That's the thing. It's just, you don't need to explain it. You just need to have it happen. It's sort of like a human doll-looking head on, like, a teddy bearish body with, like, a little, like, clown-esque frill around the neck. Yeah, the head is, like, very Slappy the doll. So, haunt your nightmares, everyone. He is terrifying. I don't like him. And finally, okay, so getting into the story, we're, we're 20 minutes into recording. I think we'll get into the, the sort of plot. Uh, so, at this point, the Doom Patrol have all been, like, living in a house together in a small town, forming a found family unit where they actually start accepting each other and their weirdness. I think that's the last of the context we need, really. Yeah? Yeah, Yeah, like, going into the story, really, all you need to know is there's a bunch of weird people just trying to survive together, and their boss is a severed head who's a total asshole. And none of them like him. No one. For very obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so we open with 
a bald man wearing a like frilly pink dress in an alleyway basically he's doing like some kind of ritual and there's a kid who is looking at the man and is like hard to tell again whether the kid is interested and wants to have a better look or whether the kid is like somehow upset by this man but the kid's mother is pulling the child along saying to hurry up and get along and and just move along and ignore it uh when this man wearing a military uniform this is literally the u.s military by the way this man is from the u.s military steps up and says there are some things it's better not to see and that's a lesson you can never learn too early your mother is a wise woman follow her example and you will live a secure life um and so in addition to the man in the uniform there's also some weird things there's some people who appear to be made out of i would say some streets like some mud and some bricks or paving slabs or something um and then there's a big abstract thing behind him uh basically he's come here with backup and that backup is like very weird stuff because this is this is the government u.s government in a doom patrol comic and the Pentagon has an entire level underneath it dedicated to getting rid of weird things, but it is also somehow the weirdest place on the planet. It's all very, like, government as an actor of conspiracy theory type feeling things. Yeah, this is directly following up on the Morrison stuff. Yeah, and, like, he has, like, his troops, like, all they have to do is touch people and they'll more or less turn into stone it's sort of like again it's not fully clearly explained but i don't know maybe i'm getting ahead of myself and even attempting to describe what their deal is so the man in the dress continues like the little ritual he's doing uh great tiresias breaker of forms man of the flowing waters woman of liquid bring his knowledge bring us to change Great Father of Thunder, Splitter of Lightning, shield us and save us. The war has begun. Uh, And the military man responds, you're wrong. The war never ended. And they kill the man. And, like, when I say kill, I mean they... It's... They fire a weapon, maybe? It's just sort of... There's a panel of the man in pain. And then his entire ribcage is exposed to the air. Two panels later. Yeah, like, it looks like a rib cage poking out between, like, torn, charred, like, I guess not even skin. Like, he looks like he's been skinned, like, pink muscle with a giant hole for the rib cage. Just carcass. Yeah. And so, basically, the the general says that it's no longer the days of a Teresiae, now is the time of building. And he turns a bird into mud, and they leave. Then some mysterious people show up. They claim to be the Tiresii, but not, like, what they were. It's kind of a, they don't have their abilities or, like, access to their magic anymore. And we'll, we'll explain that later when the story explains what's actually happening here. Uh, but they take the remains through a door into the Land of the Dead. And it is established that, yes, the war has begun. And we see what we will find out later is where the bandaged people come from. We get a hint of that now because there's some bandaged people here. As we head in to meet the Doom Patrol. 
here we have essentially Coagula getting what to her are, I suppose, like unclear or like contextless visions that she's sort of making appear on a television screen. Do you know fully like what exactly the deal of this part of her powers is? She's got weird computer powers as well. This is never explained. It's just kind of a thing that develops where she's able to tune in with the technology and, like, bring up information. Yeah, and, like, some of what we see is essentially just more of the sort of chaos that we just saw with the Teresai? Yeah, yeah, the Teresai, I think. We're gonna be mispronouncing this all episode. You're just gonna have to accept it. It's that sort of um, characters have no idea what's going on, but becomes clear to the reader that what they're seeing on the sets is the beginning volleys of this war that we've been watching the beginning of. And yeah, Coagula's watching it on the TV sets and the rest of the Doom Patrol, or at least... Well, we got Cliff who comes and um, offers to make her some coffee in the kitchen. And then George and Marion are there as well. George and Marion are... Very nice, and a married couple. They're very... Well, I would say Marion is very nice. George, in this sequence, is less very nice. When Coagula is talking about her powers, and he goes, Maybe you're a mutant, an X-man. Oh, yes. That's a good point. Yeah, which I will note is fantastic dialogue, like... Yes. He's a douche, but it is fantastic dialogue. Marion immediately tells him off, and Cliff just doesn't notice. Cliff is, by the way, not aware, I think, just because Cliff doesn't know what transgender people are, because he is a man who's been in the robot suit since the 60s, and this is also, like, the mid-90s. He just doesn't realize that Kate is trans. Yeah, and, like, there's a bit... A little later in the conversation where the other two are talking, one of them's just like, he knows, right? And the other's just like, well, he must know. Spoiler, he doesn't know. Um, But there is, like, a tension building between Cliff and Kate. Like, by the end of this... So, like, Kate's already been established to be a lesbian, but she is also apparently into robots. This is what is established by the end of the run, is she is into women and robots. Yeah, like, there's a definite sort of building rapport between the two of them. Um, I guess I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's feeling, like, sexual here at this very beginning. But, like, the, I guess, growing bond between the two of them really feels at the heart of this particular story. And there's some sexual stuff with them in this story arc. Well, I suppose sexual in a different way than what I was thinking. We'll get into the sort of body stuff. It is hard with Cliff because one downside of his robot body is he can't feel anything. His All he can do is control the body and, like, see, but he's not had a sense of touch in a very long time, which is, like, the main thing that causes him mental anguish on a regular basis. Yeah, and it makes him a natural sort of character to have in scenes and interacting with Kate as a trans character in terms of just, like, bringing yet another element 
an avenue to like discuss bodies and the concept of like bodies and the self and what one wants from their body what with cliff wanting later in the story to like get more control over sort of crafting a newer robot form that isn't just whatever scraps calder put together there's a lot of just the general theme of like building oneself up in the way that they want to be or sort of like shaping one's own appearance as a as an expression of how one feels about themselves as a person if that made any sense as that sentence got really long <laughs> yeah uh this arc is very gender very very gender doom patrol is in general but this may in fact be the height of gender as a concept i would say that like the biggest difference thematically between morrison's doom patrol and pollock's doom patrol is by this point pollock had already figured out her gender stuff and morrison would take years longer to finish figuring it out and actually like label it it's on the page in both runs but pollock is even more conscious of it and therefore some of the language is a bit more explicit although it both runs are just gender 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 oh yeah i mean it's all over the morrison and it is morrison dealing with that stuff on the page but like pollock comes in and just knows where it's going in a way that i think morrison just didn't which is maybe applying that retroactively but i feel like that makes sense as like a way of viewing the two runs because pollock isn't doing something fundamentally different from morrison which is part of her goal when she took over the series, was to just do, like, her own take on what Morrison was doing, which is why we're talking about that run so much, is because this reads very similarly, but it's also very different. Yeah. Having been a fan of the Morrison Doom Patrol run for years, and then finally getting to read this one, the one I wanted to read the most, (laughs) the (laughs) follow-up. Anyway, we cut to the military guy and... Basically, it's established that they are building something. The focus drains begin to draw the light of heaven from the world beyond um, as what they're building is finished, or slowly being finished. Uh, This looks very archaic. We're very far underground, pretty clearly, and there's, like, drawings on the walls, and they're all very, like, organized and squared-off drawings, which I think is important. There's also a bunch of weird stuff. He meets with a priest and there's, like, a television embedded in the wall that he watches some weird stuff on. But, like, the the essence is they are building something and that's how they're going to win. As for their goal, honestly, I'm just going to wind up reading some more of the dialogue. Anchors of stability form now in abundance beyond even the early days of the original tower. They're building the Tower of Babel, but they're building it underground so that it's not noticed underground beneath the pentagon specifically this is specifically underneath the pentagon this is literally an extension downwards so morrison's run established the floor underneath the pentagon where the u.s government does weird stuff in order to like try and eradicate weird stuff this is this is underneath that floor (laughs) where ancient beings are building the tower of babel in order to stabilize reality and by what they mean by that from birth to old age to final death lives live without change or growth 
Males and females hold firm to their proper genders. Dream stealers appear, risen out of sweat and prayer. Sufferers helped fantasy torments, sent back forever to the empty night. Dreams imprisoned, the burden of personality dissolved forever. The theme throughout the story is basically going to be... Constant change is literally fighting constant stability. And constant stability is specifically on the side of the government, a.k.a. the bad guys. And your quote being a great summation of it, especially with regards to males and females hold firm to their proper genders and just everything being very rigid and everything goes in its own little box and... You are exactly what we say you are, and you can't change that either. It's really not even metaphor, you know? Like, this is all (laughs) just explicit. I mean, this is explicitly the U.S. government. President Clinton shows up in this comic. This is explicitly the government. Hillary Clinton is in this comic. Yeah. (laughs) The government is... The Clintons, specifically... Well, so are... to, to be completely clear, the Clintons are being controlled. Well, Bill is. Hillary isn't, and she, like, notes how weird Bill has been acting lately. But this this guy is still U.S. government. He's also an ancient being from the dawn of time. Yeah, the government, partially as proxy of these ancient forces, are being used as tools of what can only really be described as philosophical fascism as a concept with just everything of, I guess, should we just go ahead and establish it now so it can be clear what we're talking about? Yeah. Like, all of this ancient war shit stems from there used to be a time when everything and life was in much more of a sense of flow and beings in their consciousnesses could shift into one another and they could change forms much more easily and everything then, was like liquid like trees could become water if they wanted yeah and then sort of an opposing force of stability and rigidity came up and came into conflict with it and reshaped the world influencing um i guess just life and existence in such a way that now change and fluidity isn't totally gone, but things are much more strict and rigid than they used to be. This was the truce at the end of the war, so what they've been talking about essentially is the Teresians are the beings who still change the way things used to, and then the builders are the ones who built the Tower of Babel, which is what cemented existence, and they didn't finish it. And then it got destroyed, which is why things are a little fluxy, but not as much as they used to be. Yeah. And the builders want to finish it. Yeah, the builders want to ban trans-affirming healthcare, basically. That's literally it. That's what the story is. That's what the story is, yes. Um, And I don't mean that in such a way as to, like... um... There's, like, other stuff going... Like, you can use this to say a lot about a lot of things but including just like the obvious metaphor the most on the page thing is yeah male female and gender 
Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, I don't want to sound like I'm oversimplifying it because, you know, there is, like, more going on and you could take it to mean more things beyond just gender because, you know, there is clearly on the page the metaphorical concern of just, like, you know, like, people changing and having access to fluidity and identity in all sorts of ways, you know, and so it's not literally strictly just a gender thing, but gender is one of, if not the main lenses that is recurrent and is a lens for viewing the events of the story. There's also a guy in a toga. I don't know why he's in a toga. <laughs> I love Doom Patrol. Yeah, guy in toga. You can toga. get really deep into it, but there's also just sometimes there's a guy in a toga. <laughs> <laughs> guy in toga talking to the government slash well he's part of it <laughs> yeah like talking the government guy from earlier yeah like amongst the government discussions of the united states government slash fascist alchemy people from before the dawn of time and they establish that so they there's two lost workers from an escape who, spoilers for a 30-year-old comic, are George and Marion, as we, like, hinted at earlier, um, who are now with the Doom Patrol, who have already caused this group problems back in the Morrison runs. So they're like, oh, well, we'll go take care of Doom Patrol once and for all. And also, we should get bring the new president on board with our plans. Let's take the president downstairs at the Pentagon to the Tower of Babel. And brainwash him. Brainwash him? And before we do, just get all these panels of him seeing all the freaky conspiracy shit and going, Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> what the... just like, don't worry about it the whole way down. Literally, he's just like, what the fuck is all this? And they're just like, failures of a past administration, don't worry about it. Um, I realize now, turning to this page, we forgot one last important detail about the Doom Patrol's current status quo. The house they are in is infested with what are called SRSs. That's sexually remaindered spirits. People who died during extreme sex acts. And they are still doing those as ghosts throughout this house. Frankly, I, I for love them. Frankly, I forgot about all that just in the midst of how much is going on in this story. But yeah, there's some naked ghosts. There's some naked ghosts who are doing some freaky shit sometimes and are clearly enjoying themselves. It's great. Uh, we have one here dancing with a person made from coat hangers, I think? <laughs> it's a scribble person with a coat hanger head that's, like, upside down, I think. And so, basically, we have Niles. Uh, he is, as I, as we established, he's a head on a tray. That tray has some ice on it. And he is currently getting around on just a cart. It's a cart. He's got a wheelie cart. And he goes in um, to see Dorothy and basically insists that she needs to do tests to get her powers under control. She's got the ones with her imaginary friends that she's able to activate. Um, and Charlie is there as well, the creepy little doll with the teddy bear body, who tells her to be very careful. Then we have... So this is one of the Teresiai walks in to talk to Charlie. Um, they are currently in a feminine looking form with like 
glowing blue skin with patterns of like snakes and birds on their body and it's it's sort of unclear whether these are like tattoos or whether this is somehow like something that's inside their body and their body is translucent and you can see through it yeah the blue has sort of a watery look to it also very flowy and shifty yeah like ambiguous in terms of what anything is specifically on a literal level but just very fluidy what's going on there sort of appearance and it's established that charlie the doll who was an ongoing mystery still is in some way associated with the teresii so after showing president clinton the tower of babel that's being built underneath the pentagon i'm still not over how great that is that is louise simonson naming the racist anti-mutant villains of her x-men comic the right levels of great actually i think it might be even better i am very partial to the tower of babel underneath the pentagon yeah um but after showing clinton that the general is now in the same town that the doom patrol have been living in and on on his way with his big it looks like a brick built robot his big abstract brick built robot uh so dorothy's being forced to by um niles to summon various different imaginary friends of hers they are all of course wild and crazy looking because this is a doom patrol book uh but summoning so many so quickly causes her like pain um and so george and marion get very mad at niles and force him to stop protesting uh at which point the wall explodes and the general guy is here with his weird things here to take back george and marion yeah the evil fascist united states government referring to people as its property yep and all of that is issue one there's a lot going on in this story this was an ambitious one to pick but it is also just too good it was either going to be this or we're going to spend an entire episode on just the issue where coagula melts that guy's metal dick which is also incredible but yeah as the story progresses essentially the doom patrol is going to fight the government off for a little bit um it ends with calder and co refusing to let the government reclaim marion and george but as soon as the government leaves temporarily calder starts demanding explanations and marion and george basically give their backstory about how the government they got literally like seduced into a government program which turned out to be getting turned into energy beings who they've been wrapped in bandages and then forced to work to build the tower of babel yeah literally led and contracted under false premises to be both the workers and the foundation for just this anchoring of reality in like a really bad way yeah um and while they're there they meet a prisoner uh a strange man called elliot who was able to they they, he's wearing a blindfold and they help him by removing it and he's able to like make their bandages come alive and give them the abilities we described earlier ellie is one of the teresii and therefore will shift between like male and female forms throughout this story 
George and Marion know him best and consistently seem to use he, him, so I'm just going to roll with that for now. Like, this Patricii, when they come to Earth, do kind of have to make some choices, and Elliot generally presents male. Yeah, and essentially they end up, thanks to Elliot, being able to make an escape attempt from the Tower of Babel, um, them as well as other victims slash builders of the tower they end up able to flee but had to leave elliot behind and so essentially long story short the pair of them wound up with the doom patrol and yeah they, they, it's their house that the doom patrol are in okay. so they, they were there well they were their second charlie was their first adding to the mysteriousness of charlie charlie was at the house before marion and george were I've read all this. I still, I the, I still don't fully understand the little. He's connected to the arc at the end that has to do with like a lot of Jewish mysticism stuff, but I can't remember exactly what his deal was. His deal is being a creepy puppet that I don't like. I, as a big X Men fan, I'm not as like knowledgeable about the Kabbalah as I really should be, frankly, considering that's just the Phoenix. So. I don't understand the last arc of this either, but I need to do some research, probably. So, back to the present day. They're gonna start building defenses, essentially, to, to protect against the government coming in. And as, like, the most important thing that happens here, though, is that, like, when Kate leaves to, like, follow Niles to help him out, Cliff expresses a lot of admiration for her, including that he's... He thinks that she shouldn't be here in like this weird situation that like yeah she's got powers but a lot of people do she's very normal and she should be off married somewhere married and having babies um at which point marion feels the need to out kate to cliff it is made clear later in the arc that kate like kate is not not out as a trans woman for context for this she actually already had assumed that cliff knew yeah it's She's not, it's not like a secret that she's trans. Yeah, it's just that Cliff, he didn't personally know. Yeah, like, Cliff had even heard about her having had surgery and stuff, and he just clearly didn't know enough to put two and two together, and no one ever sat down and explained the concept to him, which is what Marion's doing now. It's not as bad as it sounds, I think is what I'm trying to say there. He essentially is going to have a brief and very stupid on his part trans panic moment yeah he's going to have they're going to have a little arc between them over the course of the story of you know him at first just sort of not seeing he has some very ugly moments yeah like him not really seeing trans identity as i hate to use this overused word but just simple and to the point valid and you know he has a bunch of lines about like what makes a man or a woman which kate then does the obvious of turning around on him and being like do you got a robot dick or no are you a man it's that sort of obvious metaphor of is you being is someone's sense of being a man or a woman inherently tied to their body well, you're a robot, and you still feel like a man, so... And I was like, by the end of the arc, it's fine, and he's apologized. 
So this isn't one of those stories, thankfully. And thankfully I can continue to like Cliff Steele because he is one of my favorites uh, in the Doom Patrol. Yeah, and like... A very cool, very fun character. I think I like... I like the way that this, like, part of the plot is handled a lot. You know, I think it's more interesting and feels more relevant than if the story just did a everyone instantly understands and everyone is accepting and everyone gets a perfect ally star, you know? Like, this feels more true to life in terms of just, like, the sort of shit Kate would have to deal with and... I think it's well-written, and I think the sort of slow progression of her relationship with Cliff over the state of the story is nice. Yeah, and um, this was written in the 90s, everyone, so why comics aren't just doing this kind of thing all the time by now is beyond me, because this broke the ground. I don't... I'm, anyway. Corporations. I hate it. Yeah. Why is this 90s comic so much more diverse and interesting than most comics from the last decade at these two big companies. Because they're all owned by Trump donors and literal <sighs> Disney. Yeah, I know. The builders took over. Truly the builders. There's some weird stuff happening with Elliot, but basically the essence of it is Elliot has gotten out of prison and is now the glowing blue female form with the stuff inside there's now like a hand and some flowers as well as some snakes snakes are a very common image among the tarisii yeah which like they shift they shed their skin yeah they shift they shed also just sort of a common animal symbolically in terms of like sex and fertility sort of myths and stuff like that so it makes sense and I guess also, like, snakes and knowledge and forbidden fruits, yada yada. Snakes are a symbol of basically everything. Uh, so, here we have... Um, the next thing that happens is the scene we talked about earlier, where Cliff is an idiot who doesn't understand trans people for a while. Um, and we get the great bit where Kate says, Really then, what about you, Cliff? Do you have a penis? What are you? And Cliff just stares at her. Clearly no real response. Yeah, it's like a good conveyance of like that moment when someone's been a douche and been called out, but they're just sort of silent for a moment and they're not ready to like reconcile or admit they were wrong yet. It's just sort of like planting that seed of doubt in his mind. Uh, and then Niles basically just tells everyone to shut up and stop fighting because they need to... Um organize their defenses the one time niles has something done anything even remotely decent like this is it this is the one good thing niles has ever done which is just tell everyone to stop fighting uh, so they've built a wall out of the bandages from george and marion which are then partially melted and re-solidified to be stronger by kate and then Niles has Charlie, who is able to communicate with the the sexually remainded spirits to help aid in the defense. So we get a wonderful full-page splash of some very naked ghosts, some of which look very strange, uh, flying up around the house to help in the defense. Yeah, everyone's just preparing for when the government will inevitably come back, so they're setting up their 
weirdly sexual defenses around the house. You you aren't at the bit where Niles winds up um, inside the stomach of one of the sexually remainded spirits as his way of getting around. And so it's just his head embedded in the torso of a naked woman who is tied up with a whole bunch of electric live electrical wires. Sounds about right. Which is, you know, how she died, oddly enough. Um, Cliff is still cranky from earlier and has them open up a door so he can go and get some air for a second. And basically, he's having an existential crisis because suddenly Kate's stuff, like, really plays into his own issues with himself that he's had for literally decades of comics at this point. So he's just like, I need to go and figure out what on earth, like, to believe in about myself now. Um, At which point, the government's there and they start firing cannons at them and they blow Cliff, like, they blow him up. For what I'm sure wasn't even the first time at this point. There's this amazing issue in the Morrison run where he's supposed to get transferred into a new body, but uh, the brain gets Monsieur Mala to transfer his brain into the new body instead, um, at which point the brain and Monsieur Mala make out and declare their love for each other, and then both immediately get blown up. Monsieur Mala is a giant gorilla, by the way. And then the brain is what it sounds like. Yep. He's a brain in a jar. He's just like Cliff, but he's normally just, like, in a thing on wheels. Sort of with, like, a more, like, skull sort of theme to the fake face. Deeply disappointed that when they showed up in Young Justice, they did not adapt that story and have the make out, because it was great. Monsumala is a a genetically engineered gorilla with human-like intelligence. It's not as disturbing as it sounds just nearly as disturbing as it sounds the brain is french and has a thick french accent it's great but anyhow we essentially get i guess the main point of this fight is just well i guess i don't know like how much there is to note about this battle so much as like they just sort of fight the government off for now and the main thing of note is going to be the casualty of Cliff's body that they're going to have to rebuild. Yeah, they grab the head and get the hell out of there and reclose the little hole to defend themselves. Dorothy does get to unleash her imaginal friend, imagine her imaginary friend called Dark Morning, who just kind of looks like a wisp of cloud, like wisp of smoke, with a big mouth filled with needle-like she- uh, teeth in it. Dark Morning's fun. I think this is this is the only time I've seen Dark Morning pop out. It's a good one. Um, so, basically, Niles is going to pull out one of the spare bodies that he has set aside for Cliff. Um, and Cliff, who is now just ahead, just like Niles is, says, No, if I'm going to get another robot body, I want to say in how it works and what it looks like. And he and Kate basically form a united front against Niles for Cliff's right to have a say over his body and what he looks like. And it's all very... Gender. It's very gender. It's very gender, and it's very personal autonomy, and it's also very... Miles Calder is the worst. It Yeah, also, like, the last time he got a body off of Niles, Niles had put in, like, some safety things so he could shut, like, him down whenever he wanted... And so part of this is him also not wanting that anymore. And he's essentially... I can't trust this jackass head guy. Yeah, and like Kate watches the building process to try and keep an eye out for things like that. 
And Colder is just very bluntly just like, if I wanted to do that, I would do it in such a way that you wouldn't even notice as it happened right under your nose. But sure, we'll build the body according to your specifications. He's I'm sure such a that prick. Yeah, I'm sure that not at all is as it seems, but for now he goes along with them. Uh, so the builders, in order to break through, they summon the Urban Engineer of Shame, which is this weird, wretched figure who's just constantly apologizing and begging to be let go. It's it's a very weird thing. <laughs> uh, while they're doing that, Kate and Cliff have a serious conversation about um, Cliff's desire to have control over his body. It, it's... There's a very funny bit where Cliff does this very lengthy explanation that essentially amounts to, I want my body to reflect who I am. Does that make any sense to you? And Kate just looks and is like, yes, Cliff, a lot of sense. Again, obvious trans allegory is obvious. Cliff Steele is a trans man, is what we're saying here. Cliff Steele... He was born a cisgender man and now he is a trans man. Yeah, <laughs> he has undergone transitions. He, yeah. you could argue, he's been dealing with a lot of body dysmorphia his this entire time in this body that's been built for him. More or less, everyone in the Doom Patrol is, is dealing a with body of transgender, except for Miles Calder. Yeah, Miles Calder would be the ultimate diversity win? Question mark. Um. He, he, during this arc, questions even having a body at all. He's like, I don't understand the point of them. Why, why do you want one of those? I'm perfectly happy as this a head on a plate of ice to keep myself. There's, there's an earlier joke where he keeps wanting to drink milkshakes and it just leaks out the bottom of his head because he doesn't have a digestive system and fills the tray and Cliff has to keep telling everyone to stop giving Miles milkshakes because <laughs> he's sick of cleaning up the mess. The mess from his neck hole. Um, anyway, Kate then gets very specific about how, like, certain surgeries work. And Cliff is like, yeah, maybe I don't want to hear about this right now, another time. And they both have a laugh together. And it's very sweet. Like, this is the bit where they make up. Yeah. It's like, one issue later. It really doesn't take very long. They are very clearly made to be friends and connect with each other very readily and easily. Meanwhile, more Teresai, Teresius, more Teresius shit is going on as Elliot arrives um, to help out. And, well, George and Marion are very happy to see Elliot. And Elliot explains, I've come to help and be helped. The builders have broken the truce with the Teresii and you're all in danger. You need to know about the war. Which is where they explain the whole backstory. And we get just all these lovely visuals of trees morphing and humanoid shapes. And just rigidity and fluidity moving in and out of each other. We get just really dismal looking shots of like when the builders take power and just again... They're just fascism. Like, from what I remember, this arc never uses that word, but it's all just... Any authoritarian, deterministic, you could argue that it's also late-stage capitalism. You know, you are your function, and that's it. Um, oh, we also get Kate, of course, 
knows the uh, mythological reference that this is all making. Um, Tiresias saw two snakes copulating, and when he hit one of them with his stick, he was changed into a woman uh, from Greek mythology. And Kate then says, these days, it's a little more complicated. So there you go. Uh, That is the inspiration for this whole plot. Yeah, and all of this, just going back to what we said about like how the current state of the world is a compromise and while things have gotten much more rigid than they originally were human beings do still have some degree of fluidity and agency in their ability to alter themselves in order to i guess you know just like realign their identity or make their corporeal reality more in line with their identity and just that while things have gotten more complicated and that they can't literally undergo... You can't flow like a river anymore. Yeah, you can't flow like a river and trans healthcare isn't beating a snake with a stick, but humans do still have a degree of agency and choice in how they view themselves and how they change. So the Teresians, like the, the fundamental beings... They, quote, took themselves to a place unreachable to humans, a place beyond alphabets. So just for, like, to understand the level of, like, the lack of definition that the Teresians represent, they don't have alphabets. They don't have, like, language that has a structure. There's There's no structure at all with them. And when the builders are all structure... This is the point where you start to see that what the story... They're two extremes. Um, and Elliot is a Teresian who got, came to this world because he was curious and took on a human form, a male called Elliot. Instead of curiosity, I found terror. The builders had awakened. Workers digging shelters from bombs had uncovered the remains of the tower. Again, this is under the Pentagon. <laughs> Alright, so uh, at this point, they start building the new body for Cliff. And um, Kate winds up being, like, directly hands-on and helping. Uh, Her new unexplained computer powers kind of help with this. And so we get the reveal of the new Ted McKeever-designed robot man. And he looks pretty badass. He goes from being sort of, like, a crown orange color to being more of a sort of golden brown with a little bit of, like, black accenting at the waist. The The design had originally, like, kind of a band on the top, and it's really emphasized here and, and made larger, and then it's got little bits... It, it is almost... And I think this ties in with, like, the... Um, there's a cross pattern on the front. It's almost like a crown of thorns that he's got going on with the head. Um... And, like, the design was already square-jawed, but, like, it's even more square-jawed. Like, a lot of the the traditionally sort of masculine elements of the Robot Man design are sort of emphasized here. Yeah, even details in just terms of, like, how large, like, the shoulders, the upper arms are, just look very muscular. He's beefier, yeah. Yeah, except his waist is kind of snatched. Maybe it's just this panel, but in a couple of panels at least, like, the legs look, like, much skinnier, so he's kind of top-heavy. Yeah, I will say, this design is pretty good, but the design we get later in the story is even better. But we'll get to that when we get to it, because it's one of the best bits of this whole thing. 
Um, actually, we're kind of about to get to it now. So Elliot basically says that they need to summon the Teresian. The, the last Teresii. I keep losing how we're supposed to pluralize these things. No clue. Um, so Elliot won't be able to go back because they won't listen to them anymore. But a man and woman must go together, merge as one, and new Teresius. And while George and Marion are, like, ready to volunteer, uh, Elliot says that the best option is to send Kate and Cliff together. And Cliff is already just like, oh, for God's sake. But they both already know a little something about preserving a sense of the self that transcends their current bodies, so they are a natural choice. We then get the cover of the next issue of the Tiresias War, which, like, we we haven't talked about the covers yet. This one is, um, a good hint at what's to come, I, but it's it's basically Kate and Cliff held together in... Would you say that's sensual? Yeah, like, I would say... It's a bit sensual. At least, like, emotionally intimate... Like, it doesn't look erotic, or at least not inherently erotic, but certainly at least intimate. Because, yeah, they're gonna have to... Merge bodies. Yep, they're gonna have to mash bodies together in order to become all flowy and beyond rigidity. Uh, so, they are literally probably going to have to merge bodies. So they prepare to do the ritual... At which point, uh, so there's a dead tree that then reaches out and grabs them as part of the magic and grows around them while inside they get real fucking turned for each other and start going at it. Like mental orgasm, like a literal quote. Orgasm takes place in the brain, Cliff. The brain, trust me. Cliff gets horny for the first time in years, and he's like, I can't do anything, I don't have the equipment. Except that there's a panel of her licking, like, his metal chest, and there's, like, a halo sun effect behind his head. Well, that's he... his, that's his, uh, his crown of thorns, kind of, like, the, the sicky outbits. But yes, that's, that's definitely what it's going for there. Yeah, like, giving <laughs> halo of just regardless showing that he is in fact achieving orgasm in his brain oh they both are they both come they come together and then they come into a single body which, which is essentially the prior new robot man design we just discussed except now has tits has tits and is bootier i would say yeah like it's a bit more curvaceous it's a bit more Fembot now than it was before. It's it's a fusion of masculine and feminine forms into a single design. Yeah, and as they sort of progress on their way to meet with the Terrasai, they aren't entirely comfortable having merged together like this. You know, like they talk to each other like Cliff not feeling entirely right in this body, but they just sort of keep at it because they know it's necessary as they just sort of traverse their way through this barren landscape. Cliff is um, not handling having the, like, especially the feminine aspects of this new body very well at all. He is expressing essentially dysphoria again, which he was kind of mostly over, and now is just back there. 
Uh, so we get flashbacks of Cliff's child. Well, Cliff after his accident, but distorted, nightmarish flashbacks. Like the doctors who are operating on him, who are being directed by Niles to like take the brain and put it in the robot body. Are uh, they look like weird monsters? And Cliff looks to see that they're also operating on Kate, and the doctors are dead naming her and we have cliff's moments of like ideological redemption on the surgical table being like you bastard kate is her name like standing up for her against these visions of doctors fucking around with their bodies and like there's a whole literal thing of being like i'm a man i was what i am before calder ever made me anything you know, he didn't make me, I am what I am. And ditto with Kate was a woman before anyone else did anything to her or before any sort of surgery or anything. Kate was who she was. I am who I am. Trans rights. This is also where Kate finds out that, like, Calder arranged the accidents, which is not something she knew already. Some, it's not a secret at this point. I guess I guess a little bit like Kate being trans, it just never came up directly. Even though a lot of Cliff's resentment from it has been visible throughout this whole run. And like it's established here that like the reason that Cliff has been putting up with having Niles in his life still is because he just pities him for just being ahead on a block of ice who isn't able or like doesn't He's just a, an empty head stuffed with theories. He's not even really that much of a person anymore because he just sits there in sciences and has nothing outside of that. Yeah. Uh, this is where we start heading towards... They've just gone through some pretty traumatic memories for Cliff and now they're heading towards some for Kate. But they decide to turn back for them. It Cliff can kind of see some of these memories now that they're in the bodies but they aren't fully sharing everything yet. Essentially what this is, is it got to push the two of them to fully share everything. So they finish becoming a single being and like a proper Teresii. Yeah. And essentially they're going to be asking the remaining Teresii for their help in combating the builders. We have this scene where this guy shows up. It is not explained who he is, but he offers Cliff back his original body, and he offers Kate the opportunity to have a real body who will be who you really are. No more imitations, is the way that it's put. And it's in, in exchange of, like, turning around and not carrying on. And both Cliff and Kate together laugh at him. They don't want your real bodies. We're not imitating everyone, anyone. We just want ourselves. Again, just a reiteration of the self-acceptance, self-fulfillment. Identity is a self-described state beyond beyond rigidity of one's physical state or of how one is viewed by other people. And so they are able to come before the Teresii, who are absolutely wild. They are a mantis, a boar, and a swan. It's a buffalo. A buffalo, yeah. Which probably means something, but I don't know what. <laughs> a buffalo 
Zorak from Space Ghost and the bird from Underwinter. It is the bird from Underwinter, isn't it? The buffalo is um, from American Gods. There's a buffalo in that as well who's, like, very similar. And in some panels, the new golden Cliff Kate character is looking very C-3PO. And they have the, um, the, the Teresius sort of style, like, drawings along their body now. Yeah, Cliff yeah. Cliff and Kate together. They've got more of the sort of look that Elliot had earlier. And that leads us into the final issue of the story, where basically it comes down to them being like, don't just make everything all fluidy either. Humans have it right. We like our identities. We like being ourselves. We don't want to throw everything away. Um, yeah, so they arrive with the Teresii, and the battle is not really going well against the builders. But the Teresii are able to... They start, like, slowly vaporizing the general guy who's, like, one of the original builders. Um, and unfortunately, even though they're very happy now and, and they are glad that they are together, the new body that... Uh, Kate and Cliff have essentially it's not as strong as Cliff's like robot man body and it doesn't have access to like Kate's coagulate powers so they have to split apart unfortunately even though it's not what they want anymore in order to help everyone out and basically the Teresa I finally win against the builders by using the sexually remained spirits who throughout this little arc have been speaking in tongues which is not a language it's just gibberish, which allows them to, like, channel their magic because it doesn't have, like, grammar or structure to it, but is still expressing ideas. That is the best way to explain this plot. Yeah, like, I've read this story to completion probably three or four times now, and each time felt like I grasped it a little more. It's definitely easy to feel, especially on first reading, like, there's just so much going on that it's kind of hard to grasp everything initially. This is Doom Patrol, though. This is what you buy into when you read Doom Patrol. Certainly post-Morrison. This is no different than any of the other Morrison arcs. We also get some flashback stuff for Kate. Essentially the equivalent of, like, the Cliff flashback that we got earlier, where Kate is being attacked as a child for wearing woman's clothes. And uh, this time Dorothy is there and is doing the, the, the trans rights bit, essentially, again. Um, stand, helping stand up against the, the memory of the jackasses who attacked her. Which is able to... That's the, the weird thing, the, the weird, like, shame... Was it Urban Engineer shame earlier? This is part of its ability. There's a lot happening. It just keeps, like, jumping back and forth between these things. But that's, that is essentially what happens. And so it's established, though, that if the Tower of Babel is completely destroyed, the world will be destroyed. Like, the, the builder points out that it is still part of the foundation that the world is built on. And the Teresans are like, yeah, you're right. We're just going to have to destroy the world. And essentially, the Doom Patrol living on the world is like, wait, no, stop. And basically, Kate makes the argument that just because things are more rigid for humans than they are for the Teresii, that doesn't mean that they can't still shape who they are. Because again, trans rights, bodies, Kate, robot man, 
we are just defining ourselves on our own terms on every page. Uh, basically, the the final like sort of conclusion of the story is self definition is the most important thing. People should be allowed to express themselves how they are. They shouldn't be forced to stay the way they started or forced to change. They should be allowed to be who they want to be. Yep, and then... A lot of the Pentagon gets blown up. That has aged weirdly. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> the Teresii are like, Okay, we'll fuck off for now. Good luck down there. The builders are thoroughly defeated. And essentially, the work on the Tower of Babel is done for now, but we get the final page of a little epilogue of... Well, the Pentagon's being rebuilt, and they're sealing up the bodies of the builders again so that they can't be reawakened. Yeah. Have these come back in a later Doom Patrol story? No. Uh, this run has literally been referenced, like, maybe once or twice in all other Doom Patrol comics. And by that, I mean this entire omnibus. Okay. I would argue more recently that's because it's hard to find and read. And I would argue for close to the time when this came out, it is due to... I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but it is weird how the Doom Patrol run written by the trans woman is the one that is hardest to find for the longest time. Yeah. The John Byrne run you could find. That was not good. The run right before Morrison's you could find. The old 60s stuff you could find. You know? No accusation there, it's just a little weird. I think it's a systemic issue more than anything else. It's not like there's any one person who's responsible for reprinting stuff. And I will freely admit that the run that ended the book because of low sales is maybe not the one you most... But, like, paperbacks at some point, you would expect. At least some acknowledgement. Pretend it's just more of the Morrison run and just keep adding on a number to the numbers that you have on the Morrison volumes and wait for people to notice. You could definitely sell a couple that way. But yeah, that was the... T Teresius War. Teresius War. We looked up pronunciation before this and we're still terrible at it. Yeah, it said trans rights. It's great. There's really no conveying in an audio medium how good McKeever's art is. And like... Sublime. It's sublime. And it's like a perfect fit for the feel, tone... And, like, thematic concerns of the story, like, it all just works really well in concerts, and not only is there a lot going on conceptually, and a lot that's cool going on conceptually, you know, beyond just, oh, we're gonna do gender stuff, not only that, but we're gonna tie gender stuff to the Tower of Babel, but you also just get it elevated by this really striking visual style that really looks like nothing else. I think that is my favorite Doom Patrol story. Again, probably. I need to reread both all of this, which I, I've only read it all the way through once because, as I said, this came out late last year and I've, you know, been reading a lot of other things. But yeah, it's all on DC Unlimited or Universe, whatever the app is called. It's all on there. Go read it. You... That's, that's, a uh, what is that one? $10 a month? Subscribe for a month. Read the Rachel Pollock run of Doom Patrol. Buy the Omnibus if you can find it. It might still be some in places. Yeah, this was good. I guess, do you have any final notes, or should we go ahead and move on? Um, 
No, I, I think we covered everything. So next time, we are going to be discussing something that I believe to be yet another great height of the comic medium. I honestly have no idea if you'll agree with me or not. I think, regardless of if you like it, it will be something that is similarly really distinct, unique, utterly unlike anything else aesthetically, and unquestionably iconic. We are going to be diving into Homestuck. So I hope you all look forward to that. It's like the first hundred strips? I haven't even looked at it yet. Yeah, we're probably going to go off the first hundred pages, which Homestuck is a webcomic, which beyond it being a favorite thing of mine, I'm also glad to do it because we haven't done a webcomic yet on the show. We haven't done something that was made for a medium other than, like, paper. So that'll be part of the discussion, I'm sure, of just, like, the sort of formatting and how it reads differently. But... Yeah, first hundred pages or so is the plan, and I think it slaps. A lot of people hear the word homestuck and just sort of groan because they associate it with, like, fandom being annoying to them on Tumblr, to which I say all fandoms are annoying. If you look at the annoying people, read Homestuck, it's good. I, I will say my only experience with Homestuck is knowing that a person I very stupidly dated in high school <laughs> that did not go well uh was really into it but i know nothing else beyond that so cool yeah i look <laughs> forward to you going in quite blind and just going what the hell is this probably it's got like people with horns right i've seen people with like horns and like painted gray faces yes okay yes but oh i guess i will mention before signing off, just recommendation for people reading Homestuck. If at all possible, use the unofficial Homestuck archive browser that is available for free. It did a lot of work to preserve the comic and miscellaneous related media in a way that's more true to its original presentation now that Flash is gone because Homestuck is very much made for the internet and plays with things that it could do by not being limited to pen and paper. And okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, and... That's, all right, interest peaked. Yeah, like, there are parts of Homestuck that are literally programmed. Like, straight up, it is, it is a comic, but it's, at various times, I would say, is also other mediums. And webcomic is the simplest way of summing it up, but it is a comic that includes music and video. On so, my headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or just let it play in the apartment. The music slaps. Except um, I get I guess I don't know how well it will vibe with Shannon's Stardew Valley <laughs> music. It'll be a little less peaceful, but it, it'll it'll clash with uh yeah. <laughs> it'll clash with all the Animal Crossing. But yeah. Use the Homestuck archive if you can. There is still Homestuck.com, but when Viz took over, they didn't do a great job of preserving it. You don't want to see the shitty, grainy YouTube videos. You want to see the better preserved shit. But until then, we will see you eventually. Thanks for listening, and bye. Bye.
Hot, 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 hot.